0: All right, so I said last week that moving forward, um, I'm gonna be doing, when I preach, you know, there's a team of like 15 other people who preach here at the Gospel Tab, but when I preach, I'm gonna be doing a little bit of a different kind of preaching. The leadership team is releasing me to preach not just to you, uh, but to our network that we are part of and that is multiplying around us. If you don't know what that is, um, the Gospel Tab, what you are experiencing today, is just really a small part of who we are Um, Now there's a family of uh, somewhere around 25 um, house churches, nonprofits, businesses that we are doing mission with. Um, It's very hard to, a video is coming out soon that I think you're really gonna like that attempts to describe at least part of that. But it's very hard for anyone to see the whole picture, really, you know, because it's so dispersed. Um, But we are part of that. There's a lot of people who are part of that network who don't come to Sunday morning services here. On Sunday morning. So, when I preach uh, moving forward, I'm preaching not just to you, but to our network, to the people and the leaders who make up that growing network. Um, And the hope is that these sermons, which are on some of our values, um, will get put into a digital library somehow that our leaders can access, um, even if they're not here with us on Sunday. So, if you hear me talking about the network, that's why I'm doing it. Um, We are taking a few weeks to explore our value of the Bible. Uh, We affectionately say here at the Gospel Tab that we are Bible people. We are other things too. We're on mission, we are Holy Spirit people. If you hang out with us, you know that. Um, We are justice people. We care for the poor and the oppressed, but we are Bible people, and we're not ashamed to say that. And so um, I'm going to review what we talked about last week, but let me just hold out for you at the beginning of this a few resources that you might want to jot down that might be helpful in the next few weeks. So I talked last week about Scripture. I'm going to do it again today and next week, and then the following week, Brooke and I are actually going to do a sermon together, um, and we're going to give you an example of what it looks like to study Scripture Um, but I want to hold out just three resources some of you are familiar with because these really circulate through the tab and the network. But the first is the Bible Project. There's also an app associated with it. So if you just Google the Bible Project, you'll find it online. But there's also an app that you can download download on your phone called the Read Scripture app. The Bible Project has done an amazing job at making these very accessible videos that explain certain books of the Bible, but also major biblical themes. And they're taking an approach to interpreting scripture that I would want to encourage you to take as well. And that is to see the Bible as one story, really about one person, Jesus at the center of it. Not everyone takes that approach, but I think it's the right approach And the Bible Project is modeling this really well. The Read Scripture app is cool because you can set up a reading plan and it will take you through the Bible in a year and insert their videos at the right points, you know? So it's kind of teaching you as you go along. So that's a great resource. Um, There are some who use the Mission 119 119 app. Um, It's also an app that goes through all of Scripture um, over a certain number of days. I can't remember. And there's teachings and explanations that go along with it, really accessible. You can listen to it like 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, something like that. Um, So that's a great tool. And then this is actually a tool that we, a lot of us, use and we hold out for prayer. But it's also really valuable for reading the scriptures. You can access it for free at commonprayer.net. But there's also an app, I think, for a small fee. You can purchase the app, Common Prayer. Um, But it it has prayers every day, actually, morning, um, uh, afternoon, and evening. Um, But it will also take you through a large portion of the scriptures over the course of the year and put psalms and prayers next to that. So it's a really great tool as well. So I just want to hold those out to you as we continue to talk about what the Bible is. All right. Now, let's just do a quick review of what we said last week. Last week, we said that we love the Bible because Jesus is the word of God. This is actually the first line of our value statement as the tab, as the network, We love the Bible because Jesus is the word of God. We're unashamed to say that we love the scriptures, but there's a certain reason we love the scriptures, and it's because we believe that ultimately Jesus is the word of God. In fact, we said that truth is a person. Um, Truth is a lot more than just a book or a set of ideas that are laid out for us. Truth is a person, and we love the Bible because the Bible reveals that person to us, Jesus the Christ. We also said that the Bible itself is not God, and that people make who make the Bible a God often end up missing God. And you can actually see this in the scriptures. I showed you, showed you the passage last week where Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in the Gospel of John, you say the scriptures hoping that in them you will have life, but they testify to me. He was telling them, you think your salvation is in the knowledge of this book, but salvation is in me, the person Jesus claimed of himself elsewhere. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just in knowledge of that book, but it's in knowing the one that that book reveals, right? That um, salvation is found. And so we love the Bible, but the Bible itself is not God. And you can probably, some of you probably have had contact with movements and people who make the Bible itself a God. Uh, When we do that, we get off track. But that doesn't diminish the importance of the Bible. As a matter of fact, it accentuates it because truth is a person and the Bible is Jesus's story. I said last week that we can't separate him from his story. Um, To know him is to know how he's revealed in the scriptures, and these two things go together. So I argued last week that this means while it's possible to know the Bible and not really know Jesus, it isn't possible to really know Jesus and not know and love the Bible, right? We have to be Bible people. Otherwise, we are really becoming friends with a person that we label Jesus but is a figment of our imagination, right? We don't want to do that. We want to submit our imaginations to what the scriptures testify about Jesus, and learn about who he is in that way, all right? So that's just a quick review. Um, Today, I want us to dig more into that concept of what it means for the Bible to be a story, particularly a story about a person, a true story about a person, Um, and we're going to look at what the scriptures claim about themselves as we do. Um, I'll probably ask you to read with me off the screen. I really like to read the scriptures together because I think it slows us down as we read, um, and it gets you to participate with me and not just glaze over while we're uh, looking at this passage on the screen, all right? So let's look at what the scriptures claim about the story of Jesus in the Bible, and I believe you read this just a few weeks ago. If I'm not mistaken, I think Christine Skall preached the message on this, um, but I want us to read this together in Second Peter chapter two. So read with me off the screen. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's think for a second about what Peter is saying here. If you heard the message a few weeks ago, this will be fresh in your mind, but let's just remind ourselves. First of all, Peter is claiming that the person of Jesus, who he is writing about and teaching about, Um, Even when Peter is giving things like instructions to the church, it's flowing out of the personhood of Jesus. Peter is always telling a story about who Jesus is, and that affects who we are as the people of God, as the church called together and sent together on mission, but he's always talking about Jesus, and Peter is saying that he was an eyewitness of Jesus, this person who is the center of the biblical story, that he was an eyewitness of this person. This is a... Uh, huge theme in the scriptures, especially in the Jewish mind, Um, the thought of truth being uh, corroborated by eyewitness account is an important uh, and a very Jewish way of looking at things. And so Peter is claiming me and others were eyewitnesses of this. We saw it on our own. But then he says something else. It wasn't just we, the eyewitnesses of Jesus and his claims about himself and his miracles. It wasn't just us who saw, but he says people actually hundreds of years ago who didn't see Jesus in the flesh, but the Holy Spirit spoke through these prophets also testified to this person. So what Peter is saying is is what we were saying last week, that the entire story Even the hundreds of years before were a witness to this one person who came, Jesus. Peter was an actual eyewitness of this person. And he's saying that this whole testimony was not cleverly devised stories. This whole testimony over hundreds of years came through different people, very human. Peter says that. Though human as they were, the Holy Spirit spoke through them to testify to this individual. It means that God himself told his story among us. That God spoke this story through the Holy Spirit, that the story that we have is not just about God, but it was written by God himself. This is God's own revelation about who he is. So that makes me ask the question, well, then how did the Holy Spirit tell this story? How did it happen? Peter's saying this story was told over all these hundreds of years. Well, how did it happen? I think sometimes when we think about how scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we think of it only in terms of like the Holy Spirit dictating something to someone. Like someone got caught up in an ecstatic vision or something like that. And the Holy Spirit dictated to them, word for word, the Bible in a vision or some other experience. Now, to be clear, the Bible does include these kinds of ecstatic experiences. The Bible does include these kinds of visions. The Apostle John claims that the whole book of Revelation is that kind of vision. He was caught up in the Spirit on a Sunday as he was worshiping. And he had this vision, and he wrote the vision down. And what we have recorded is the vision that he experienced. Um, There's other places. In the Old Testament, you know, when God spoke out of, uh, you know, the top of Mount Sinai to Moses, what scripture records is that the Ten Commandments were dictated to Moses by God, right? And so God dictated um, these uh, commands to Moses, and Moses wrote them down. Um, We do believe that every single word in the scriptures was inspired by God, but I think as we look at how the scriptures were put together a different picture emerges than only having, you know, visions even though that is something that happened in the scriptures. So let's look at this. Like what is the Bible altogether? Well, first of all, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. Now, there are segments of the Christian church that add a few more to that count, but they really not they're really not adding it to this count. Um, They're adding books that they believe are of historical value, but even they say these are different than the other 66. They're not inspired in the same way, um, but they're helpful in some historical way. But in our Bibles, there's going to be 66 books. Um, It was written over many centuries, um, by some estimates, up to 1,500 years. Think about that. This collection of books written over these many, many centuries. Um, It was written on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, Um, written by 40-plus authors. Now, here again, you can find counts that say 35 or 39. I put 40-plus because, honestly, there's probably about that many authors that we can identify and know. But if we look at the way that Scripture was put together, it's probably even way more when we count all of the prophetic words that came through people. Um, or the things that were written down by people. So let me give you an example. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, what Jewish people call the uh, Torah, um, these first five books, um, those uh, books traditionally, uh, you know, what Jewish folks have said, Christian folks have said, is that you know, Moses played a role in the authorship of these books. Well, there's no doubt the books themselves claim that, you know, that Moses was involved in writing these. And yet, if you read those first five books carefully, you'll see that there's sections that priests wrote down, that there's sections that a prophetic word came through someone else. So if we're adding all of that, we see that God was speaking through a lot of people and that somehow these things were compiled together um, over many years into a collection of books. Um, They're written from the vantage points of different cultures, um, you know, speaking of Moses, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised in an Egyptian context. Moses himself was bicultural. Um, you know, there's Greek authors, people, authors who have been influenced by the Roman Empire um, while God's people were in captivity. Um, there's people who, even though Jewish in heritage, were writing from a Persian context or a Babylonian context. So these very, very different cultures. Um, the book is written, the Bible as a whole, these 66 books, are written uh, in many different kinds of um, styles. So there's history, there's poetry. Do you know, I was reflecting on this, that a full third of the Bible is written in poetry. Um, What does that say about God and how he, remember how I said last week, like the Bible isn't just an instruction manual or a rule book? If it were, you would not choose poetry, right, so prominently. The policy manual, the gospel tab for our staff, we do not communicate that to our staff in poetry, right, Um, because that's not what we're trying to get across. It's so interesting that so much of Scripture is really presented to us in poetry, Um, prophecy. There's sections that are laws. There's sections that are written as letters. And then this is really interesting. There's parts of the Bible that we would designate as apocalyptic literature, especially the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel. There's examples of this in the Old and New Testament. And you know what's so interesting about this one is in modern times, there is no parallel to that kind of writing. Nobody today is really writing what the ancients would have known as apocalyptic literature. Um, And so that creates some challenges as we read it and try to understand it, right? Because it's like we've never read anything like this before, you know? Um, Back then, it was was common for people to be writing these these kinds of things in this kind of style with all this metaphor and all of these pictures for things and all of this. It sounds like wild as you're reading it. We have less examples of that today, but there's portions of the scripture that were written in that. Um, So... I point this out to say that the Bible's composition really came together from all these diverse places. What emerges is a different picture than just someone having a vision and hearing from God, even though that's part of this picture. What emerges is a different picture. Um, I want to point out that there are religious texts today that are followed by groups of people other than the Bible that claim their authorship essentially from one charismatic political or religious leader having a vision and hearing from God and writing it down. Um, I find it far more compelling that our sacred text was put together over all this time through all of these people and all of these different cultures and all of these different languages, that God was just showing up among groups of people, communities of people, and speaking. And it's what Peter was saying. They were all testifying to the same story. They were all testifying again and again to the same thing, to the one who would come or the one after Jesus came, the one who had come. Um, The picture that emerges is that God seems to have been speaking everywhere and through many people, The testimony is really, really wide. Oh, I forgot to mention this. Consider this. I think this will come up on the screen. That the scriptures are also written against the backdrop of violence, oppression, patriarchy. By that, I mean like male dominance, male oppression, poverty, empire, empires that did not know God or claim God, who worshiped idols, and even sexual exploitation. Um, at first glance, this is why some people want to reject the scriptures, but I think they miss the point that the Bible was written in the midst of real humans with real issues. I don't think the scripture endorses any of these things on this screen, not one of them. Um, but I do think God spoke in the midst of these things. God spoke among these things. God was right up in all of that messiness for all of these hundreds of years and showing up and speaking. And even with all of this variance, even with all of this diversity, even with all of these complicated, messy situations that God was showing up to speak in, nonetheless, after many years, there has still been remarkable agreement Um, among both Jewish people and and Christian people of the New Testament. There has been remarkable agreement that God had been speaking through certain writings. Um, Say remarkable agreement, it wasn't perfect. You can point to times in church history or in Jewish history uh, where there was some disagreement about if a certain book should have made it into the scriptures or not. But even with some of those objections for a collection of books that is written over this amount of time, there has been remarkable agreement that there is something special about these books, that God has put his mark, his authority on these books. Um, So I saw this to say, I was trying to figure out how to word this, but I would say that the Bible is an earthy book. Now, that's different than how we think about the Bible a lot. A lot of the Bibles that you you may have even brought into here, and might say the Holy Bible, and the Bible is holy, Um, by that we mean that uh, it is special for God's purposes, that God has put his own mark and said, this belongs to me. We believe that about the scriptures, that this is Jesus's... Own story, but you know it's interesting. Even when you, uh, you know, study the concept of holiness in the Old Testament, what God was often doing was taking really common things and calling them holy. You know, the the utensils, uh, the tools that were used in the tabernacle and then the temple. I mean, just to look at them, they were just plain old tools, right? Maybe made out of beautiful metals. But they were they were just things you could find other places. But when God said, This is for my purposes in the tabernacle and the temple, well then it was holy. Well, I think that's what's happened in the scriptures. God has showed up among very common people. God has showed up in the messiness, the pain, the sinfulness of their experience, and from that place he has spoken. Um, he has revealed himself in the midst of those relationships, those communities, those families. And so the Bible is holy because God has said among those things, this is my story. But it's his story showing up in these very earthy places. So because scripture is earthy, Ellen, I want to say too, that to me is some of what makes the Bible most credible. Um, you know, it's it's not just uh, like disconnected from our experience. Man, you read this stuff, even among the heroes of the scripture, and you're like, man, I've messed up like that, you know? (laughs) Oh, man, they had issues, I have issues, you know what I mean? It's so real, and this is where God was showing up. I think this concept, the earthiness of the Bible, how God showed up over hundreds of years among all these normal people to speak these words... Um, it teaches us a few things. First of all, I think that the earthiness of the Bible teaches us that we, to correctly understand the Bible, need to understand it in context. Um, we need to know where it's coming from. If it's a story, we need to understand something about that story, some of the background of the story. Um, when I say that we need to understand the Bible in context, I mean a few things. This is very practical. Um, first of all, I think we need to try to understand its historical setting. If the Bible was written in all of these cultures and all of these times and all of these empires, we will understand Scripture better, the more we understand about those things. Um, we'll never understand it all, but the more we understand the better. That might feel overwhelming to you. It may be like, how am I supposed to learn about ancient Egyptian history? Good question. Um, I think first of all, we have a responsibility. you know, The gospel tab, the network. I think we have a responsibility to get tools into your hands. Um, You shouldn't be dependent on a pastor who's gone to Bible college or seminary to have the tools that you need to dig into some of this stuff. So we're responsible, and we're talking about those things behind the scenes now. How do we get you more resources? But anymore, there's so many good resources out there. The Bible Project I just mentioned is one of them. Man, you can learn some cool things about the ancient world through these videos on, on the Bible Project, and as you engage that, you'll understand your Bible better. Um, It means that we should also try to understand the genre that we are reading. If you don't know what that word genre means, you probably learned it in elementary school, uh, you know, when you were learning about different kinds of literature, right? There's poetry, there's fiction, there's nonfiction. Well, I I mentioned to you that scripture is also made up of different kinds of genres, poetry and history and law and apocalyptic literature. And the more we understand how those things work, the better we will understand the story of scripture. So if we understand that a passage that we're reading is poetry, we're going to read and understand that better than we're going to read a passage that's just reporting the facts of a historical event, right? So the more we can understand that, the better. Guess what? Guess what? The Bible Project has a whole section of videos on genre, um, so you can learn about that as well. Um, I also think um, we read better in context when we try to read before and after a passage, noticing themes. I mentioned last week that a lot of people are dependent for their scripture reading on those pop-up verses, you know, that come up through an app. And I'm not putting that down at all. The more Bible, the better. And some of you have even told me, like, God spoke to you through one of those pop-up verses Um, But some of the danger in it is that we don't get to see what was before and after. And so I'd encourage you, whether it's on your phone or in your Bibles, um, to not only read a passage, but to notice what's before and after it. And when you do, you'll start to notice themes. You'll start to notice that God is saying something over and over again. Um, And I think we have to try to understand its original meaning. This is God's story. So when he wrote this story at this time from this perspective... What is it that God was trying to communicate to us? Otherwise, we're gonna be tempted to read into it what we want it to mean. And let me tell you where this is most dangerous. I told you that the Bible is written against the backdrop of things like oppression and patriarchy and all of those things. If we are ourselves part of an oppressive system, if we are ourselves part of some of these things that the Bible doesn't endorse, but uh, the story takes place in the middle of, then we will read the story wrong. And we will actually think the Bible is endorsing things that it is not endorsing, all right? And so this is why it's so important we try to understand what the message is, all right? All of that may seem overwhelming to you, but I'm gonna get to some practical things here at the end. I think what this means, especially for those of us who somewhere in the network, or somewhere in the Gospel tab, are teaching the scriptures, that we have to resist being a lazy teacher but instead stay curious and humble. I say curious and humble because I'm not suggesting to you, I said this last week, that the Bible is a book to be mastered. As a matter of fact, I meet too many people who think that they've mastered the scriptures. If someone has that kind of attitude, they are probably not who you want teaching you about the Bible, right? Um, What we want to stay is curious and humble. And so I encouraged you last week, don't be overwhelmed by what you don't know. Um, Just recognize there's always something else to learn. There's always a new question to ask. There's always, I'd encourage people when I hand, like when we see someone come to Christ and they get baptized in water, I I hand them a Bible. I love to tell them, put question marks in it. Like write the question marks in the book. Um, I think it's a visible way for you to remember that you don't know it all and to remember that that's okay. You know what I mean? As you read, that it's okay to ask questions to try to understand God's story better. Um, I think that as we engage the Bible's earthiness, its context, we also then learn to recognize where God is showing up in the world. What I'm saying is, it's not just that the Bible teaches us a story, it's that the Bible trains our ears, our hearts, our eyes to see the kinds of places where God might be showing up. It's like, if God showed up in this messy place in human history then it trains me to expect where he might be showing up in a messy relationship now, in a messy family now, in a messy community now. We learn to anticipate that God is showing up and speaking in the world. Our understanding of Scripture sharpens our ability to hear God in our everyday lives, even in the hard places. Listen to what I'm saying. God was showing up in oppressive systems and speaking. God was showing up in empire and speaking. God was showing up even where people were exploiting each other and speaking. That encourages me when I sit across the table from you and hear the messiness of your own life to not just ask the question, what is wrong or broken about this, but to insist on asking the question, where is God showing up in this person's story? Where is he showing up and speaking? Because the Bible is full of all of these examples of him showing up in the midst of all of this stuff. It means that as we step into neighborhoods, particularly neighborhoods that are different than maybe the context that we are most familiar with, that we come in humble and with curiosity, that we approach that neighborhood just like we approach the Bible, right? And ask the question, not just what's wrong here, but where is God showing up here? If you want to get really radical in our, in our like, you know, political polarized times, I'd encourage you to think about this. All throughout scripture, God is showing up and speaking in the midst of empire. So what does it look like for us to look at our political adversaries and not just point out what's wrong with them, but to ask where God is showing up and speaking among them? Because he most certainly is. That's the testimony of the scriptures. Very humbling thing, by the way, To look at our adversaries with different views than us and to insist that God is showing up there and speaking kind of reminds us that me and my viewpoint is not the center of the universe, right? That God is doing something over there across the street, right? Um, and, And as we learn to recognize where God is showing up, it means that we get better at telling God's story to other people. As we understand the story of Scripture, and we understand where that trains us to recognize where he might be showing up in the world in a way that lines up with that revelation in scripture, it means that we are better equipped to tell God's story to others. And if you were part of our series in the summer and fall on sharing our faith with other people, I said the storytelling is one of the most important things that we do. I think in our network, this is increasingly important to have the ability to learn to tell God's story with people who either don't know the story Or, for some reason, who can't access the story. For instance, increasingly, there are folks in our network who are telling God's story to people who really struggle with reading for one reason or another. Um, They might really struggle, you know, reading large portions of Scripture. Man, to be a people who have the story of God in our mouths, right? Right? Who, who in a moment can say, well, you know what? Jesus did this one thing one time. <laughs> Let me tell you the story. Or you think that's messy and you wonder if God's gonna show up in it? Let me tell you about this family and the Old Testament scriptures and how God showed up among them. To be learning to be people that have the story of God on our tongues, it's life for other people, right? And as we share that story, we learn that God has made room in his story for our story and the stories of our communities. See, the Bible is earthy enough that it communicates that to us. It's like, look, God is showing up among normal people, among normal families, normal communities, so we learn that God has made room for our stories within his stories. One of the oddest things to me about Scripture is that these pagan empires, these messed up families mentioned in the pages of the Bible, these imperfect cultures, and these languages, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, are now somehow forever part of God's story. Because God invited these very common things into his holy story. And now for all of eternity, we'll be talking about that, right? He included even these broken things into what he was doing in the world. If he did that, it means our stories have a place too, right? And then we learn from all of this, the earthiness of the Bible, that there is absolutely nowhere, absolutely nowhere, where God isn't showing up and speaking. Um, that has to be one of the main things we learn from the scriptures. Is that there is nowhere where God isn't showing up and doing something, where he isn't showing up and speaking. Remember that truth is ultimately a person named Jesus. And the Bible from beginning to end is his story. And the climax of that story is Jesus dying on a cross. Think about this for a second. It is there at the cross That God most reveals who he really is, what his character is like, what his glory is like. And it's totally surprising. We learn, if you want to know what God is like, we learn that love makes him vulnerable, right? That love causes him to embrace weakness in this place. It's in this place, the Roman cross of utter shame, death, suffering, and desolation that we still find God speaking, That God is revealing himself in the person of Jesus. That God, like we said last week, is performing his own word, salvation and life for the nations in this person, but at a Roman cross. And if he is speaking at a Roman cross, a place that was meant to strip the dignity utterly from people, then there is absolutely nothing in your life and mine where he is not showing up and speaking, all right? There is nowhere where he is not coming. There is nowhere where he is not revealing himself. Nowhere where he is not performing his words. Scripture trains us to expect in faith to find God speaking in every part of life and in every part of mission. It trains us to turn our ear to hear his voice and to not assume that he's being silent. Now, another passage, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament states that there's a reason for all of this God storytelling that happens in the midst of the earthiness of everyday life. He says this in Romans 15:4. Would you read it with me? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures... And the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We look at the story of how God was showing up in the world, and it speaks endurance to us because they made it. So we can too. God's purposes were still at work, even in the midst of human sinfulness and rebellion. God's purposes were still at work. So we read the scriptures for endurance. It's like God did all this over all these years and all this mess, so I'm not going to give up now. It gives us encouragement in the present. We have the promises of God, that he's speaking in every situation, every neighborhood, in every community, everywhere we go on mission. Some of us are going on mission, and all of a sudden, you find yourself face-to-face with some really intense brokenness, sometimes even demonically empowered brokenness. It's the encouragement of the scriptures, the promises of the scriptures that let us look at that and not lose heart, that let us see that and stay engaged in the game with mission, and not give up to not for a second think that the enemy's gonna win, right? But to look at it and say, no, I'm encouraged because God was showing up in situations just like this (laughs) all throughout history, and then hope for the future. It's like this isn't everything, and the hope of that place is changing things and breaking in now. But I do think that to reap these benefits of endurance and encouragement and hope, we have to read the Bible the right way, Listen to this. I have this on the screen. When we read the Bible not as a story about Jesus, but only as a rule book or an instruction manual, the Bible becomes something that kills curiosity, convinces us that we know all the answers, and feeds our pride as we try to coerce people and fix things. This is especially important for a missional movement. There's a temptation to grab a hold of the Bible in an empire-like way and to use it to coerce to use it to fix people and things, right? Now, next week, I'll I'll tell you where we're going. We are gonna say that this is not just a story about Jesus. It is an authoritative story about Jesus. And we're gonna flesh that out next week. We all have to be in submission to that authoritative story. It's his story, not our story. But let me also say that you don't have to look very far to find religious environments that are all about coercing people and fixing things. The more I reflect on my story, and experience, um, you know, healing, the more I find how much this was present in my religious experience, coercion and control. And let me tell you something, much of the time, I think the intents of people's hearts were good. They were trying to fix me. They were trying to fix things. Um, they, were trying, they were looking at what was wrong and they were trying to, you know, make it right somehow. But in the midst of that, I think they were using the Bible Um, not as it's fully meant to be used at best and at worst even in an abusive way. So we're gonna talk about the authority of scriptures next week, but to talk about the authority of scriptures not to talk about the scriptures being used as a form of abuse, right? Um, We have to keep the scriptures in the place that God created it to be. But here's the positive. When we read the Bible as Jesus' story, it teaches us to resist the urge to coerce people To resist the urge to fix things and instead to approach life with curiosity about God and how he's speaking. Listen, no matter what you see that's wrong in relationships, in church life, in our network, out in the community, in the person who you're trying to talk to about Jesus, you're going to see things that's wrong. But scripture encourages us to look at that and to not lose heart. We don't have to become afraid. Instead, we can approach that with the same curiosity we approach this book with and say, God, what are you speaking? Uh, What are you doing? Uh, We're assuming that you're here saying something, even if this is unpleasant. So what is it that you're saying? Um, We want to hear and we want to obey. As a matter of fact, I think that as we approach life that way, we come to two questions. The Bible uh, leads us to ask about everything. If you've been part of the Gospel tab, you know these questions. What is God saying and what am I or what are we going to do about it? We just keep opening up these questions with each other. What is God saying and what is he going to do about it? Um, I'll know how to handle this situation. What's he saying? What does he say in the story? What's he saying right now? And then what are we going to do about it in obedience? We just have this conversation with each other over and over again Asking the questions. You know, question asking in and of itself can be an act of humility. We're not masters of this book. We're asking questions of it. What is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? When we approach it with humility, he begins to speak. And as we consider how God spoke in the earthiness of even the worst of human experience, we experience encouragement that allows us to keep going. My final challenge, and I know I've said a lot today, this is probably the heaviest kind of Informational kind of um, message of this series, but let me just give you three quick challenges. First of all, put yourself in environments to go deeper in the study of Scripture. I take my role here, the Gospel Tab, and I think we can say that the same is true in the network at the at the Greenhouse Lab as we try to come up with resources for the network. We take our role very responsi- We take our role very seriously to provide you with resources so that you can step further into obedience with God. That's our role. But I can't make you step into those environments, right? Um, But I encourage you, put yourself in those environments. There's a class tonight on covenants. How dope is that, you know? come. This is stuff we need to be talking about, you know, at the Gospel Tab. And, and you might think like, okay, what does that have to do with that? You want to know about how faithful God is in messiness situations, in mess situations, learn about the covenants in, this, in Scripture. Um, talk about encouragement and endurance and being able to build your life on God's promises. Study those covenants, you know? Um, it will strengthen you um, like nothing else will. So put yourself in those environments. I don't think we have enough opportunities Um, If I can just be vulnerable, I don't think we have enough opportunities. The Gospel tab and the Greenhouse Network, it's something we are working on right now behind the scenes so that we can get more opportunities for you to step into deeper knowledge of God's word. And I think a lot of you are hungry for it. I feel it. So I want to create these opportunities so that you can step into them. Next, everywhere you go on mission, ask what God is saying and what we're going to do about it. Listen, before you engage anything on mission, I mean... I heard a friend say earlier this week, and it's so true, a lot of us in our network are justice-oriented people. We want to be active on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. But even in our activism, we always have to stop and ask what God is saying, right? Or else we're just going to do what we think is best. And, And we're probably going to oppress vulnerable people in new ways. You know what I mean? So we have to ask, what is God doing? You know, what is he saying? What's his vision for this? before we think we can just solve problems on our own. And lastly, resist then the urge to fix things, and instead, just learn to prioritize identifying his voice. And this right here is the secret of fruitful mission. Listen, we are a movement on mission. Please do not talk about the Bible like it's some counterbalance to mission. Um, no, <laughs> the Bible and mission exist together. This is Jesus's story. You wanna talk about God's mission to the world? Well, he extended himself in Jesus, right? So the whole book from beginning to end is about mission. So it's not like we do mission over here and we do Bible over here. What I'm saying is as we engage the scriptures and learn to hear what God's voice sounds like, we learn to recognize where he's speaking in the world, even in our adversaries, even in that neighborhood that we stay away from, even in that person that seems so different than us, we, we become better at recognizing God's voice in those places and the secret to all fruitful mission is hearing his voice and obeying right? It's only in hearing him and obeying that we begin to see the fruit in mission, all right? Everyone take a deep breath. (sighs) Okay, thank you, everyone.